Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Kamloops residential school tragedy might be just the start. I think there's no doubt that there are other bodies uh, at these sites. The GoFundMe that could help find more unmarked graves. Vaccine uptake hits a snag. I think incentives do have their role, especially if they're framed well. The community's shying away from the shots and how incentives might work. And a graduate who refused to give up. I was so tired and I thought I couldn't do it for some moments, but it was an attainable goal. The miracle drug that made it happen and why she's giving Global News some credit. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. An effort to find the remains of more children that may be buried at former residential schools in a moment. But first, the struggle in Kamloops to come to terms with what happened there. Many people in Kamloops are either residential school survivors or their relatives and descendants. Nitu Karcha spoke with community leaders about what it'll take to heal. And a warning, this story may be disturbing or triggering. It seems like a quiet walk on his peaceful property, but what Sequetmik tribal chief Wayne Christian is reflecting on is far from that. It's a crime scene. It's not a historic site. It's a crime scene. The war was against our children. He was one of those children, taken from his mother and placed in a residential school. But it was the way the trauma claimed his brother that inspired his life's purpose. When he took his life, he took his life with my rifle. That was one of the most horrific events in my life. And it sparked me in to say, we've got to change the system. And so my drive is my brother, Adelard, and my mom. That change, he says, begins with the abolishment of the Indian Act, stemming systemic racism and true healing from the kind of scars that stay. My youngest sister was only two months old at the time. And my sister, because of that, has not been able to understand or bond. She's got lots of health issues. It's because of that attachment disorder that took place. She wasn't able to bond with mom. And the Kamloops residential school discovery has opened more wounds. And who pays the price? It's the kids, the children. Our children pay the price. The city is responding by giving those grieving some space. I think there's uh, obviously a great deal of healing that has to happen within their own community. And I think we uh, as outsiders need to be patient and let that happen. With people's eyes and ears finally open, he hopes this will be the beginning of closing a dark chapter. We've been on these lands for 10,000 years and longer. Canada has only been here 200 years. So think about that. And the start of one where every step forward prioritizes a better future for those still suffering. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Federal Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller is once again calling on the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church to apologize for that institution's role in operating many of Canada's residential schools. A plea that has been rebuffed so far by Pope Francis 
on two prior occasions. A papal apology is one of 94 recommendations made by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I think it is shameful that they haven't done it, that it hasn't been done to date. Um, certainly, my Catholic friends uh, that I speak to believe it should be done. Uh, there is a responsibility that lies squarely on the shoulders of the Council of Bishops of Canada. The Archbishop of Vancouver, for his part, is once again apologizing for the church's role in residential schools and today pledging support to the Tecumlitz, Tshekwam people and other indigenous communities. In a written statement, Archbishop J. Michael Miller says the church was unquestionably wrong in implementing a government colonialist policy which resulted in devastation for children, families and communities. Miller says the church will provide mental health support and counseling to the families, and he's pledging both technical and archival support for the investigation at Kamloops and other former residential school sites. Well, the federal government is promising to immediately make available $27 million to help Indigenous groups find and survey residential school burial sites. But a Vancouver Island filmmaker and residential school survivor himself says he has lived through many broken government promises. So, as Grace Key reports, he's now taking it upon himself to raise money to start the search. From Victoria, carver Tom LaFortune knew he had to do something after learning of the 250 remains discovered in unmarked graves at a former residential school in Kamloops get First Nations to pick up uh, uh, the ground penetrating radar unit ourselves so we could deal with it as opposed to waiting for the government. He enlisted the help of his friend Steve Sweethout who at age five attended a residential school on Cooper Island along with his sisters. Couldn't go see my sisters on the other side of, uh, of the residential school. Uh, we were punished if we did. Um, you know I ran away a couple of times, hid was found, brought back, disciplined, you know, physically punished, emotionally punished. The two started a GoFundMe page to purchase a ground-penetrating radar unit similar to this one. The goal, $25,000. They got that and more in about 24 hours. Their GoFundMe is taking off just as the federal government announced funding is being made available to uncover more unmarked graves across the country. The $27 million that we're talking about today was always intended for communities and the communities will all receive um, details of that today and how to access it and and it will be distributed on an urgent basis. Those funds have been available for seven years and they haven't done a damn thing with it. We're not going to wait for funding. We're going to just do it. Five residential schools on and off Vancouver Island have been identified. They realize it's a huge endeavor, but they've managed to enlist some expert help and will be looking for more. You know, maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised and not find anybody, but at least we'll know that we've done everything we can to search and, and come to that determination. Extra funds will be used to purchase additional equipment to help bring home their lost children. Grace Key, Global News. And a reminder, there is a 24-hour support line set up for survivors of the residential school system. If you or someone you know needs help, the number to call is 1-866-925-4419. To the COVID crisis now. And British Columbians are now slightly ahead of target when it comes to COVID-19 vaccinations. 
But as Richard Zussman reports, there's still concern about some age cohorts and communities that aren't keeping up. With each shot, it's a step closer to return to normal. And we just got to keep pushing. More than 71% of eligible adults in B.C. have now received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. 88% of those 70-plus have been vaccinated. 81% of those 60 to 69. And 75% of those in their 50s. Where it slows is in the 40s with 70% immunization. Those 39 and younger are lower, but they haven't had as much time to get the shot. The province is not worried yet about stalling out on vaccines. Really, it's not age categories that we're focused on. Uh, it's, um, it's uh, making sure uh, that we get to communities. And there are communities falling behind. In the eastern part of B.C., vaccinations low. Fort Nelson, 50% of adults have been immunized. In Dawson Creek and Fort St. John and the rest of the Peace River region, it's 44 and 48%. In Enderby, it's 56%. We're focusing on some of the areas where we're a little lower for whatever reason, and we're focusing on raising rates, but just generally. In hearing from some of the vaccination clinic uh, administrators, they have 95% to 100% of those appointments filled. So I believe what we're seeing is an actual capacity of the vaccination clinics. In Metro Vancouver, the problem, Richmond. The city center at 59% immunization, Broadmoor 60%. Central Abbotsford at 64% and North Chilliwack at 60 The one community health service area that was lagging in Richmond, which is Richmond City Centre, has really come up in the last number of days. The opposition suggesting this as a possible solution. Pharmacies can give any of the doses of any of the manufacturers. So we know that they don't have to be limited. The province is shifting the focus now to second doses, where it hit an important milestone Wednesday. 16,923 second doses administered. So far a record here in BC. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the topic of vaccinations, Keith, and how the province plans to give people a little nudge to get the shot in some of those communities where uptake is slow. Yeah, you heard in Richard's story, Health Minister Adrian Dix talk about targeting these uh, various communities that really have low take-up numbers when it comes to vaccinations. And it's, it involves more than just asking people to get vaccinated. So it involves sending public health nurses, community nurses, to these individual places like Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, uh, North Okanagan. Uh, the Minister Day talking about how a special clinic is going to be in Rutland tomorrow where the vaccination numbers have been low. Here's Adrian Dix. We've added um, BCCDC nurses to go up to uh, Fort St. John and region, and we're making a real effort and a real push in that region of the province. In Rutland, which was lagging a little low and has really come up in the last week, which is um, north of Kelowna, we're doing all of community uh, tonight, if people are listening to us in Rutland. And at the school, at uh, Rutland Secondary School tomorrow, uh, during the afternoon, I believe, from noon to 6, so again, that's a, a special clinic in Rutland tomorrow. Uh, you heard Richard talk about the second doses. This is what we're going to see in the coming weeks. So there's going to be more second doses administered than first doses. So we went from 24% to 71% from early April to early June. It's going to take longer to go from 71% to 90%, uh, again, because we're not going to have as many first doses administered going forward. A lot of second doses are coming our way. No lotteries yet, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll get there. Thanks very much, Keith. Okay. 
Well, yes, in the United States, you if you get a COVID shot, you could win everything from a million dollars to Super Bowl tickets. But there are no such incentives here in B.C. And as Ted Chernecki reports, some are wondering if they're needed to help push us to herd immunity. In the beginning, logistics were hard, getting people to line up easy. Now logistics are easy, getting people to line up hard. There are incentives galore stateside, everything from free beer to lotteries to a chance at free Super Bowl tickets. We're like a football team. We're driving down on the opponent. We're down to the five-yard line. We can't walk off the field now. we got to finish the game. And today, the Biden administration launched its most aggressive campaign yet to get 70 percent of Americans with at least one dose before July the 4th. We still have millions of people to vaccinate. Canada may also be hitting a wall of those who can't be bothered or don't want the vaccine. When that happens, I I do think we'll hear more about the possibility of of incentives or, or other kinds of policies that might encourage individuals to get vaccinated. I don't think we need to provide incentives, but we're going to keep working to make it easier for people uh, to, to book and to get their immunizations. It's more complicated than you might think. There are ethics involved. Example, does automatically entering a vaccinated person into a lottery trigger one's gambling addiction? Why reward procrastinators? Experts say the important thing is everyone have access to the vaccine regardless of the incentive and the messaging that this is good for the community uh, as a whole, which is the real reason you get vaccinated, right? It's not for yourself. uh, It's really for your community. Luckily, BC is already into the 70% range, and there's optimism. A little push might get us to herd immunity. You know, for the hardcore deniers, and thankfully that's still a relatively small cohort in Canada, probably won't make a difference. But when we're trying to get to herd immunity, you know, two, three, four percent more people getting vaccinated, that matters. No one likes to be asked to change lifestyle, lose weight, quit smoking. But here we're being asked to do just one simple thing, and then it's done. And we can all go out and play. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And here is a look now at the latest numbers for our province. Second straight day below 200 infections. We recorded 194 new cases, bringing B.C.'s total to 144,667. 2,662 of those cases are active. 246 people are in hospital, 70 of them in the ICU, and sadly, four more people, including a 39-year-old, have died. Well, pressure is still building tonight on the Canadian and U.S. governments to announce some kind of plan for reopening the border. The latest call coming from an American congressman in New York. But as Amada Gahi reports, many experts are still cautioning against any quick changes. Fifteen months, this border has been closed to non-essential travel. During all that time, pressure to reopen has never mounted this quickly. When there is nothing coming out relative to public comments about the border and about a vision for opening it, I think that does a terrible disservice. For Metro Vancouver and its tourism sector, business from south of the border desperately needs to come sooner rather than later. For families separated all this time, reuniting could depend on easing border restrictions before the end of summer. It seems as if we have the pandemic on the ropes at this point. But still, just because it's on the ropes doesn't mean that it's down. And both governments on both sides of the border need to be extremely cautious about how they move towards a reopening. 
Border conversations with the Prime Minister usually end with a push for more vaccinated Canadians, up to 75% fully immunized before potential reopening. Meanwhile, the public, when polled, seems divided. But I just don't want people coming across and going back, coming across, going back. That's just a little bit too risky for me right now. And I think if there was a, if there was a clear uh, infrastructure where Americans showed proof of vaccination and they could cross the border into BC, I think it would be good for families here and would be good for the tourism industry. Experts would be surprised if the current border restrictions are not renewed before they are due to expire near the end of June. So the worst thing to do is have a, a lot of people travel out of Canada and go to places not knowing that they're still actually able to get infected and bringing variants back into Canada. And before any legitimate and public talks of reopening, both sides of the border will need to establish a universal and secure proof of vaccination system. Whenever that may be, expect crossing to look more like the loosening of a tap instead of opening a floodgate. Amadagahi, Global News. The highly competitive B.C. real estate market is putting buyers at risk. Blind bidding, offers with no subject. It's a recipe for financial ruin if things don't work out. What the B.C. government is considering to cool things off next on the news hour. An elderly woman suffers for over an hour after a fall on SkyTrain. How it highlights major problems in BC's ambulance service coming up on the news hour. And Canadian soccer star Christine Sinclair has written her name into the record books. Now she'll have her name on a building. That's later. Right now, though, home sales in parts of the province continue at a record pace. And although there are signs it's cooling off a bit, the market is still very robust. Questionable industry practices like subject-free offers and blind bidding are reportedly taking place. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa is here with more. And Thanks, Sophie. The practice of blind bidding in this province has many calling for greater transparency when it comes to buying a home. We asked the Minister of Finance about the current state of the market and the government's plan for stronger consumer protection. Blaine Thompson thought purchasing a new home for his young family would be a straightforward experience. Instead, the Kamloops resident says he entered into a world where he felt powerless. It's like playing roulette with people's lives, really. Thompson is talking about blind bidding, a real estate practice where the buyer has little, if any, knowledge of the competing offers, resulting in the prospective buyer often placing a bid well over the asking price. It's just completely disheartening because you're throwing a random amount of money, which is often, it can be an entire year's salary you're throwing out there. It's why many are calling for greater transparency when it comes to purchasing a home. Andy Yan is the director of the city program at Simon Fraser University. What bothers me about this practice is that on perhaps what is the biggest purchase in the lives of most Canadians, you have more protections buying something on eBay than you have making this type of purchase. Yan says government needs to step up and provide greater consumer protection. If the existing leaders don't have the political will, then it's a demand for new leadership or for leaders who do have the political will. Consumer Matters asked the Minister of Finance, Selena Robinson, if the province is considering legislative change with better consumer protection for British Columbians when it comes to buying a home. It's, it's one of the things that we're looking at. Uh, I also have concerns about people, for example, buying a home without doing any inspections whatsoever. We absolutely recognize that this is a problem and it needs to be addressed. Robinson says her ministry is looking at a number of issues. So that's, you know, the, the blind bidding. 
that's looking at home inspections, uh, looking at cooling off periods. All of these things uh, go into making a good, sound decision uh, that I think is reasonable. After being outbid a few times, Blaine Thompson eventually found a home for his family, a property where he was lucky enough to avoid a bidding war. Right now, the way the situation is, you don't know if what you've bought is worth what you paid. Now, we also asked the finance minister if there was a timeline for any future change. The minister told us her staff is working as quickly as possible, adding some issues which may be more stringent will take longer. And if, you've, if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Still ahead, predatory behavior by a former Mountie. This is a huge slap in the face to all of us. That's that came forward. The shocking twist in court that stunned his victims. Also ahead, tributes pour in for a beloved Vancouver writer and columnist, Shelley Freilich, gone suddenly and far too soon. He was in a position of power and he allegedly targeted women when they were at their most vulnerable. Former RCMP officer Brian Burkett is charged with breach of trust. And while the identities of the women he allegedly wronged are protected under a publication ban, they're still sharing their stories and reaction to the latest developments in court. Global's Jules Knox reports. Former Mountie Brian Burkett was originally facing seven breach of trust charges. But in a Kelowna courtroom on Wednesday, he pleaded guilty to a single count after the Crown took the allegations of seven different women and condensed them into the same charge. How can you take seven women who have been violated and stalked and dock it down to one? I don't understand how that happens. I'm furious and I feel broken. Court heard that Burkett met each of the seven victims while he was on the job and the women were vulnerable. Each case was different, but between October 2015 and August 2016, he sent several of the women sexually explicit text messages. One woman had been suicidal, the Crown says, when Burkett responded and later pressured her into giving him a kiss. Another woman, Michelle, told court in her victim impact statement that since meeting Burkett, she's been living in fear. I have no trust in the system. I've got no trust in anything. And I live my life with my head on a swivel and I can't sleep. I mean, I'm terrified of the police. Burkett was charged in 2019 after a three-year investigation. He told the judge that the time has been humbling, scary and humiliating. And he spent the last number of years trying to rebuild his life. But Michelle noted there was no direct apology to the victims. He didn't say he was sorry for what he did to us. It's about his kids and his career. <clears throat> well, what about my life? And what about the trauma that I and my other girls? What about what we've had to do? We're terrified. The Crown is asking for Burkett to spend six to 12 months in jail. The defense is asking for a conditional sentence, which would be served in the community with restrictions. This is a huge slap in the face to all of us that, that came forward. I'm disgusted. I feel violated. I feel unheard. The judge has reserved her decision on Burkett's sentence until July 27th. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. More evidence of the critical shortage of paramedic services in B.C. tonight. A woman who fell and broke her hip on Tuesday afternoon 
at the Metrotown SkyTrain station lay on the ground in pain for more than an hour waiting for an ambulance. Jordan Armstrong reports. Firefighters arrived at Metrotown station within 15 minutes, but call records show the ambulance took 68 minutes to show up. Unacceptable, says the paramedics union. Sadly, we're seeing this more and more every day. On Reddit last weekend, an anonymous post from someone claiming to be a paramedic describes an 80-year-old woman waiting more than six hours for an ambulance after falling in the lobby of her apartment building. BC Emergency Health Services would neither confirm nor deny that incident occurred. SkyTrain call, they say the patient was stable and paramedics were responding to a high volume of more critical calls. The union says. I'm really worried. I'm not going to lie. I lose sleep at night. This sickens me. Clifford adds the union tabled ideas a year ago to address scheduling, recruitment, and other issues plaguing BC Ambulance, but the situation has only worsened. We know that we have up to 30 ambulances every day out of service, anywhere from 10 to 30 every day in the lower mainland. He claims the crisis is less about resources and more about management. I've never seen the organization manage this badly. Darlene McKinnon is in charge at BC EHS. She would not agree to an interview. We allow communications to reach back to you at this number. Is that the best thing to do? Yes, but, but you're the person in charge. Can you not do an interview with us? You know what? I'm going to let them. I want you to arrange that through them. But her communications department did not communicate with us by deadline Wednesday, leaving our calls about delayed calls stuck in the queue. My question is, what are you doing to fix this so that a poor lady does not have to wait for an hour and 10 minutes on a platform at a SkyTrain station? Jordan Armstrong, Global News. One of Vancouver's most beloved newspaper columnists has died. Shelley Freilich passed away at home in New Westminster Monday night. Freilich was a graduate of Langara's journalism program and began her career more than 40 years ago. She rose to the position of executive editor of the Vancouver Sun, a newspaper she loved, but she was best known as a columnist with the paper. A brilliant writer who always had time for her readers, she wrote about things that were close to her. She retired in 2016, but was coaxed back to writing a column in 2020. Freilich recently predicted that she'd live to 83 in a column she wrote. She died at only 68 years old. She also had an, an absolute magnificent heart, Ted. And uh, she, you know, she volunteered like, oh, my God, so many hours to the causes that the Vancouver Sun fronted and were, was associated with, uh, you know, she was, she was everything. She was all embracing. And, uh, and I think that that's one of the things that made her so effective as, as, a, as a writer. Freilich loved the Vancouver Sun, but her first love and passion was her family. She leaves behind her two children, their partners, and her three adored grandchildren. And our condolences mm -hmm. go out to all of them tonight. We'll miss her voice here in Vancouver. No doubt. Up next, culinary schools starving for students. Vancouver is a great place to live, a great place to study and, and learn. The missing ingredient that could delay recovery in the restaurant industry. And a young woman who fought hard to make her graduation dream come true and why she's giving Global News some of the credit. 
Each year, thousands of kids count on BC Children's Hospital for the expert care they can't get anywhere else. BC Children's Hospital is here for them all, but they need your help too. Rise for BC's Kids, June 12th on Global BC. Good evening from North Delta, where crews are clearing a crash on the Nordell on-ramp to northbound Alex Fraser Bridge. Traffic is a little bit backed up as a result. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on Nordell Way and Highway 91. Vancouver restaurants are celebrating a slow reopening from the pandemic, but they're now facing a new challenge, a shortage of workers. During the shutdown, many wait and kitchen staff simply left the industry. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, a number of popular eateries are now having to put out the help wanted signs. It's not much, but this is the lunch rush at Fable Diner. People inside, at tables, eating, a step in the right direction. In order to meet the demand, owner Ron McGilvery has had to go on a hiring spree. The most experienced server here today has three days under her belt. It's tough. Usually that summertime, it's like you're, you're scrambling and it is what it is. It's just a constant thing, I think, in, in Vancouver. The uncertainty in the restaurant industry has trickled down to culinary schools. The Pacific Institute of Culinary Arts normally has an enrollment of about 200. It's slightly below that right now. Restrictions on international students has put a dent in the school's ability to recruit talent. It's been such a trying time for the industry that a lot of people, you know, you kind of feel like a yo-yo. You're in, you're out, it's open, it's closed. How are you supposed to pay your rent? The issue will become more urgent for small operators as the summer progresses and government subsidies are slowly pulled back. Large restaurants and chains can hire hundreds of people and usually pay more. It's forced Fable Diner to think creatively. We're hiring some staff that have like no restaurant experience, and then we'll bring them in now because we have our own online ordering platform. We do our own deliveries. Pent-up demand for restaurants is good news for restaurants, but only if there isn't a choke point with hiring people to serve guests. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Four years ago, a young woman wasn't sure she would be alive today, let alone graduating from UBC, but she is, and it's truly an amazing accomplishment. Sure is. John Waugh has Shanti Anaquad's story, including how Global News helped her achieve her goal. The decorations are up. The stage is set. All to mark an important life milestone. One Shante Anaquad and her family wasn't always sure she'd be alive to celebrate. I think it means I'm meant to be here. Like, I think that I have a purpose. The 26-year-old graduating from UBC with a degree in anthropology. Watching her go into this next kind of phase of her life, um, it's just amazing and I'm grateful every day. A dream she hung on to four years ago, despite worries she might be on her deathbed. It's my life. It's something worth more than an object or money. Diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease, AHUS, Anaquad's kidneys were failing, her body shutting down. But Solaris, a drug that costs more than $750,000 a year, wasn't covered in BC. You're told that you can get better, but you're also told that you might die if you don't get it. 
and they're not going to give it to you. Her mother, Jennifer, refused to give up, calling Global News for help. The moment you called, it was it was life like I, it was that moment of somebody's finally listening. This is this is our only chance. Despite being rejected twice for coverage in this province, the public pressure behind Anaquad was overwhelming. It's reasonable for us to both review the original decisions because uh, this is a very, very uh, harmful syndrome. The treatment was deemed eligible for coverage on a case by case basis and a quad making BC history from her hospital bed. Definitely something that needs to be out there because things like this are happening every day and nobody knows about it. Anna Quad was off dialysis in six months back at UBC the following term. Now this moment a special one for a mother in awe of her child's strength. It's phenomenal. Her determination, her perseverance, her passion. And while she still requires regular treatments of Solaris, Shante Anaquad gets inspiration from her mom when it comes to her future. And I know I'm going to have to keep fighting my whole life, so I'm going to as best as I can, not just for me, but for other people. This graduation more than just a ceremony. It's a celebration of survival. John Hua, Global News. Congratulations. Well done. All right, coming up, pulp culture. Apple, cucumber, lemon. The Little Juice Company making a big difference during the pandemic. And in sports, one of Canada's greatest athletes about to be honored in her hometown. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, Christy is off today. Kasia Paderka is in another beautiful hot day out there, Kasia. Just amazing. Midsummer temperatures, really. It's a little bit out of the ordinary. This wasn't a record breaker for us, though, in Metro Vancouver. It is 28 degrees. It feels warmer with the humidity by a good four degrees for much of the lower mainland. 29 in Victoria and Squamish, but the real heat is had through the southern interior. 35, de- well, temperatures in the mid-30s, as you can see, with the hot spot in the province and also in the entire country being in Warfield Trail, 36.5 degrees. So that was a record setter over there, as well as many other weather stations across the province, including this in Creston. I want to take your attention over there because we had to go back as far as 90 1937 to see comparable temperatures to this. Isn't that something? So Ellie had the right idea. Norris Creek in uh, Mission. Thanks to Jean for that. So the plan for tomorrow, we kick off the day a little bit more cloud cover, a chance of an isolated shower in the morning. And in the afternoon, we clear out and a little bit cooler at 22 degrees. Okay. And the action is had over the North Coast. So it's just a chance of rain in the morning. It uh, It's more so periods of rain in the afternoon. It really picks up in the afternoon. Interior sector could get a thunderstorm and we do have that cloud cover in the morning then clearing then this next system it descends towards the south coast late day friday brings us a little bit more cloud cover for then ahead of the system that's going to be bringing us rain on time for the weekend. Okay, likely at this point. Okay, so here are the thunderstorms over the central interior. Across the southern interior, another warm day. Not as warm as it was today, uh, but uh, still quite hot and above seasonal. A few raindrops over here, but they will likely be had in the morning. And there's your long range for Metro Vancouver. Again, with the showers making a comeback come Saturday. The central windows weather window is brought to us by Grant Mattis. As you can see, he's cooling off at English Bay. He's got the right idea. Guys, he sure does. Wow, love it. Okay, here's Squire Barnes now to look at what's 
coming up in sports, Squire. Just straightening my tie here. Is it straight? <laughs> Chronic. Do you want us to stretch a little bit longer so you can? <laughs> no, no. I just want to get it. Okay. <laughs> if, it if it's not straight, folks, I will fix it in the commercial. You like no that. emails. Looks good to me. <laughs> anyway. Uh, when they held the NHL draft lottery today, the Canucks had their usual luck. Number nine overall selection in the 2021 NHL draft belongs to the Vancouver Canucks. Ah, oh, come on. Anyway, Jim uh, looks like he does every year when they hold this thing. We'll tell you who the winner was after the break. Also coming up, the Vancouver Island Company squeezing out some success during the pandemic. As they say in the commercials, can you imagine? No, here in Vancouver, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just like any of us. Have we won the lottery? Nope. <laughs> you know what the Canucks should do? They should get Barry Delay to be the oh, representative. Yeah. He knows how to win a lottery. Uh, the NHL held the uh, draft lottery today, and well, we've already told you the Canucks didn't win. They've never won. Even in their very first year, 1970, there was kind of a lottery between them and Buffalo as to see, to see who would get the first pick. And the Canucks didn't win. Buffalo won. And for a long time, losing that was considered a bad omen for the Canucks. But you know what? The Sabres had never won the Stanley Cup either. However, just like in 1970, Buffalo won the lottery today. Actually, it's the fourth time they have won the uh, draft lottery or the fourth time they'll pick first overall. Uh, they had the best chance of winning the lottery. Seattle actually had the third best chance, but they moved up to second. And as you can see, Vancouver was ninth going in, and that's where the Canucks will draft. Although this year is going to be a weird draft because a lot of these young players haven't played. So who knows who the best player is? Okay, game one. Who will be king of the north, Montreal or Winnipeg? 500 frontline workers allowed in for this game. Jesperi Kokaniemi scores the first goal. The Jets had a long break after uh, sweeping the Oilers. Montreal is very fresh off the win over the uh, Leafs. There's Eric Stahl scoring, but Montreal no rust, I guess, because they just went through seven games. Winnipeg a bit of rust, and that's a nice move by Nick Suzuki. So it's 3-1 early in the third, Montreal over Winnipeg. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps are on a break, but... During their break, they're actually doing some work. They made a trade with the New York Red Bulls, giving them $400,000 in allocation money for forward Brian White. Now, usually when the Whitecats bring in a new player, it's somebody from a different league. This time, it's a guy with Major League Soccer experience. Goes over the top. White got a foot on it! And yes! Brian White and explicitly! Brian White gives the Vancouver Whitecaps another attacking option. White, the New York Red Bulls Offensive Player of the Year in 2020. He also fits the mold Mark Dos Santos likes in a forward. A hard worker can hold up the ball and finish when the opportunity arises. He's also uh, somebody who, who uh, presses high, who knows how, how counter-pressing works um, to, to try to, to win the ball up, higher up in the field. So this is, these are all the, the things that come here together 
White scored six goals for the Red Bulls last season, including one in the playoffs. He instantly provides depth for a cap side that'll be missing number one striker Lucas Cavallini for up to a month, as Cav is seeing duty with the national team. Now, depth up front is nice to have, but White is like any other white cap striker. They need quality service, and we're all still waiting for that linkage provided by that missing attacking midfielder. We are not done yet, and um, I want to to reaffirm and, and give this message to our fans. We are on it. We are on it. And we know that also a player like Brian White needs this support. So it sounds like support is coming. The Caps say they're in negotiations with an unnamed player, but refuse to let current market conditions force them into overpaying for that anxiously awaited for midfielder. The European market opens in, in summer now and clubs there don't see this rush and if you want to rush and you want to bring something over the line and then it mostly costs you more money. Burnaby is putting Burnaby's Christine Sinclair's name on a community center which is taking over uh, what used to be the 40th sport and health center. Sinclair of course the greatest goal scorer in women's soccer history. So this will now be officially known as the Christine St. Clair Community Center. 146,000 square feet. It has gyms, fitness studios, weight rooms, a FIFA standard soccer pitch. The Raptors have trained there a few times. Uh, Burnaby will also name an ice rink uh, after the late politician Rosemary Brown. That arena will open in 2022. Well, trainer Bob Baffert has been banned from running horses in Kentucky for the next two years. He's also currently banned from running horses in New York State. This after his Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, tested positive for a steroid. And today, according to his lawyer, the appeal drug test also confirmed Medina Spirit had a steroid in his system on Derby Day. Now, this doesn't mean... His Kentucky Derby win has been taken away just yet, but it's closer to happening now. Although Baffert's lawyers say the steroid entered the horse's bloodstream accidentally through a cream used for a skin rash. If Medina Spirit is disqualified, second place finisher Mendeloon will be declared the Derby winner. French Open last Canadian in singles is Leila Annie Fernandez right there. She's taking on Madison Key, so this one is not going to be easy. And it wasn't. First set was all Madison Keys. She won it 6-1. to one. Although in the second set, Fernandez gives her a bit of a run here. Would tie it up 5-5. That's a nice point. But as I said, Keys, a little more experienced at this point in the careers. And a little bit better right now, at least today. And she moves on with a straight set win. And there you go. Fernandez is a fighter. Saw her here at the Audlem Brown tournament. A couple yeah, she years can ago. play. She, she can, can play. play. She'll get better. All right. Thanks, Squire. Well, when COVID shut them down, a juice bar pressed on to find pandemic success. Their story next. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at PacificBlueCross.ca. Well, the list of BC companies finding new opportunities by pivoting during the pandemic continues to grow. Sure does. In tonight's Believe BC report, Kylie Stanton shows us a Victoria-based company juicing up its business while honoring its past. 
apple, cucumber, lemon, kale, ginger. The list goes on. Spinach and parsley. Clean, healthy ingredients coming together to create a nutrient-dense juice. And it's actually very nice and really refreshing. But the idea for the juice bar, in contrast, is actually quite heartbreaking. The founder, Bruce Mullen, started the business after losing his wife, Charlene, to breast cancer. During her treatment, doctors suggested the family start eating an organic diet and try juicing particularly the cold-pressed variety known for its ability to retain nutrients. So they set about trying to find them in Victoria, and there were none to be found. Determined to change that, Mullen worked with chefs to create original recipes. The first location in Cadborough Bay opened in 2014. That's how it all started. But of course, it all stopped when the pandemic hit. The business shut down for three months, only reopening the flagship store in June of last year. In early 2021, Mullen sold to Better Plant Sciences, letting it take the helm. Their influence is really what's helping us to decide what, what we want to serve and how we want to do business. That's meant launching a new direct-to-consumer website, offering delivery or pickup of the cold-pressed juices in Calgary, Vancouver and Victoria. And so they just go on, choose the juice that they would like, and then I pack it up and have it ready to go. And what's left over doesn't go to waste. Yeah, they donated about 150 liters. The Rainbow Kitchen, serving roughly 200 lunches each day, is able to provide the high-end juices to those in need on a regular basis, despite the hardships the business has faced. A company, especially like Juicy, that's so small, to the fact that they're still continuing to support their community, I think says a lot about them. The demand for the product is only expected to grow. Now the idea is to create a franchise model from here and see where it goes. Thank you so much. But this shop will always be the first, something born out of a husband's loss. Now everyone's gain. People can come in and get some great nutrition in their juices. And so this is her legacy. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well done. Be refreshing now on this hot, hot evening, I'm sure. Everybody's a little thirsty after that. Last word on weather, maybe before we go from cash. Right, it's going to be a warm overnight. The temperature is only going down to 14 and then back up to 22. So much cooler tomorrow. Chance of an isolated shower tomorrow morning, especially closer to the mountains. We just need to shift the, a little bit towards the weekend. Yeah, just a shift. Hey, I don't mind. I work on the weekends. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. That's true. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.